morning. Take me a moment to get set up. But one of the good things is that uh, Doug and James have inspired me today. So I was going to speak a message, but today I've decided to sing the message. Whoa. All right. Well, maybe I... All right, we'll get here. Okay. Uh, somebody asked me if I like speaking, and the reality is, thank you, uh, it scares me to death. I'm very, very insecure as a person, uh, but it's good to scare yourself. And that's part of what the message is going to be today. So I may not be abiding because I'm afraid and I'm clinging on to something else, but hopefully by the end of the message, we're all abiding. And clinging on to Jesus. All right? So let's pray and then we'll get into the message. Father, thank you that you are a good and gracious God. I thank you that you brought John back and that his heart procedure was uh, successful. And I pray that you would do a similar heart procedure in us today in a spiritual way. I pray that you would take those areas of our life that need to come under your control, where we need to be changed that you would do that. We give you that freedom. So, Father, this is your time. We pray that the Spirit would be our teacher. I pray that as we look at your word, that we would just be deeply encouraged and given courage. So we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is Carl, and uh, what I'd like to do is to do this. Some things are made to exert a big impact or alter the course of events. In war, landmines or IUDs are designed and strategically placed to have the maximum impact. In basketball, the sixth man comes off the bench at critical times in a game to have an impact. In business, they spend millions and millions of dollars on advertising in order to have an impact. And to be honest, that's exactly, I believe, why God created us, is to have an impact in our world today. And so what we're going to look at today is that God has placed you here to impact those around you. God has placed you here to impact those around you. And impact simply means that we will influence or that we will alter the way things happen. And so I believe that God has placed you and I here to influence those around us, to actually alter history. And to do this, he has made you and me unique. He's given us gifts, he's given us talents, but he's also given us strengths and weaknesses so that all these things can be brought to bear for him. You're at a unique stage in life, you're, at a, you're in Beijing at this point in time, and God has brought all these things together with all those people you work with so that you can be an impact in their lives. So for this morning, the take-home message that I'd like for each of us is that we would know where has God placed me, and secondly, who are those people that he wants me to impact? So to do that, I'd like us to turn to the book of Esther. So if you would, open your Bibles, turn on your electronic device, whatever it happens to be, and turn to the book of Esther. Now we're going to see that Esther was placed at the right place at the right time, to have an impact on those around her. And in fact, she changed history. 
Okay, what's amazing about this book is that there are no miracles in the book. But the book itself is a miracle, right? Secondly, nowhere is God's name mentioned in the book. But his fingerprints are all over the book. And so you find him in every part of the story. He is the central character. And so if you would go with me, we're going to walk through the book of Esther rather quickly. And then we're going to draw some principles. I'll tell you a story of how I've seen that in my own life. And then I'd like to see those and how we can then apply those in your life. So if you turn in in chapter 1, the story begins with King Ahasuerus, who's also known as King Xerxes. And he is going to have a party. So we can read here. It says, Now in the place of the days of Ahasuerus, uh, he reigned all the way from India to Ethiopia in 127 provinces. And then it goes on in verse 3. And in that year of his reign, he had a banquet for all the princes, the attendants, and the army officers. And what Ahasuerus is doing here is he's getting ready for a military campaign. They're going to attack Greece. He's going to avenge his father's loss at Marathon. And so they are going to spend the next six months strategizing about how it is they're going to pull off a victory this time. And so at the end of that week, or I'm sorry, at the end of those six months, they have a week-long celebration. And so you can see in verse 7, drinks were served in golden vessels, various kinds, uh, and the wine was plentiful. And so as time goes on in the week, by the time you get to the end of the week, Ahasuerus is feeling good. And so he decides, hey, I think it'd be a great idea to have my wife, Vashti, come and just show her beauty to all those who have gathered. Well, Vashti didn't really have the same idea, and she says no. Well, you don't say no to the king, and as a result, she loses her queenship, and the king now is going to be on a journey to find a new queen. So that takes us to chapter 2. So if you go to verse 5, it says, Now there was a Jew in Susa, in the capital name Mordecai, and he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Now this is interesting because if you think about the tribe of Benjamin, that is where Saul came from. Saul was the first king of Israel, but he is also the one who God had not chosen, but the people had chosen. And so he's also from the smallest of the tribes and the least significant of the tribes. And so this is Mordecai's origin. In addition, where this book takes place is between the book of Ezra 6 and Ezra 7. And it's during that period of time that all the exiles, or a number of the exiles, were supposed to be going back to Jerusalem to reestablish or restore the nation. Clearly, Mordecai and Esther have chosen not to do that. And then Mordecai is the cousin of Esther. And if we look at verse 7, it goes on to say that Hadassah, or Esther, his uncle's daughter, she is neither the fa- because her father and mother had died. And so she is an orphan. She has been cared for by her uh, cousin, Mordecai. And they have not left where they are staying in Persia to go back to with, go back with Zerubbabel and to see the nation restored. And so it's giving us a few hints of what's going on with who Esther is and, and what we can expect. But what she does have going for her is she's beautiful. And so when the king goes, sends out his emissaries to look, they see her, and the basic conclusion is, this girl is hot. Right? And so she is selected based on 
her outward appearance. She then is, goes through a very rigorous one-year spa treatment. All you women would be uh, just very envious of this, I'm sure. And at the end of that year, though, she then has to be presented to the king. Now, presented doesn't mean he just gets to look at her. He actually gets to sexually enjoy her. And then he will make his decision, after he's gone through a number of these other women, as to who will be the next queen. And so, clearly for Esther, that had to have created some turmoil in her heart, but at the same time, she doesn't resist. And so, I think there's times where we can just sanitize things. Oh, you know, these people are just beyond godly, and therefore she would never do any such thing. Well, she had to, and she did. And so that's Esther. She's beautiful, but she's also, there are aspects where she is compromised. So as this is going on, she finally is selected to be the queen in verse 17 of chapter 2. And as all this is happening, Mordecai is waiting outside the king's gate. And as he is waiting, he overhears a conversation. And it's a conversation between two men. And these men, what they want to do is they want to kill the king. And so he then exposes that, and the matter is done, the people are hanged, and that is the end of it. He is never recognized or given any kind of a reward. Then we come to chapter 3. In chapter 3, we are introduced to Haman. And Haman is the evil villain of the story. And Haman is an Agagite, which is important, because as an Agagite, that means that he comes from Agag, who comes from the Amalekites. Well, the Amalekites were the ones, when Israel left Egypt and were to go into the land, they were the ones that tried to prevent them. And as a result, God said, I will curse you the rest of your days. I will wipe you off the earth. This is, from, this is where Haman comes from. At the same time, we said that Mordecai comes from Saul. Well, Saul was supposed to kill Agag. But he didn't. And because he didn't, he lost his kingship. And Samuel, the prophet, then is forced to kill Agag. Okay? But all of this is critical to the story because you have Haman, who represents Agag, and you have Mordecai, who then represents God and Saul. And there's a family feud that's been going on for hundreds of years. And so when... Haman comes out, and the people are bowing. Mordecai, we're not told why. In verse 2 it says, but Mordecai neither bowed nor paid homage. Now you can say, oh, that's because he's just a godly man, which he may have been. But it could also have been because he knew the history. And he knew that this man was a Jew hater. And he knew that he wasn't safe. And there was no way in his prideful self that he would bow down to this man. And so for whatever reason, though, he does not, and it infuriates Haman. Infuriates him to the point where he finally goes to the king and he says, I want a decree to wipe out not just Mordecai, but all the Jews. And so the king, listening to his number two man, Haman, does that very thing. He makes a decree that all the Jews will be, king, be killed. So when you get to chapter four, then Mordecai, Here's this news. And Mordecai is mortified. And he cannot believe that this is going to happen. And so he sends word to Esther. We're in chapter 4 now. He sends word to Esther telling her that she has to use her position, basically, 
to intervene and to save the people. Well, Esther, if you look in chapter 4, verse 11, it says, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who comes into the inner court who is not summoned will be put to death. And so as she gets this word from the intermediary, because they're not talking directly to each other, she basically says, hey, there is no way I'm going to do this. Because if I do this and he doesn't receive me, he'll kill me. And Mordecai says, oh, no, 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 hold on. Sweetie, I am your uncle. I am your father figure. This is the reality of what's going on. If you don't do this, the reality is that all of our people will be killed, including you. Because it tells us that he says that in verse 14, for if you remain silent this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. Now, it doesn't say where, but I think that could be an, the only illusion that we have in this book that it would be from God. But then he goes on and says, but you and your father's house will perish. You're not going to be spared. And so either you do this, and maybe you're not going to be spared, or you don't do this. You're still not going to be spared. So let's go ahead and do this. And so in that, he says, you know, and this is the famous line, that maybe you became a queen for such a time as this. Just maybe, by chance. That is why you are the queen. Chapter 5. And so she then musters up the courage to go before the king. And so she goes before the king, right? And she asks Haman to be a part. And then she, the king says, okay, so what do you want to do? And she basically says, well, I want another banquet. Why does she say she wants another banquet? I mean, this is the, her opportunity to say that, right? Well, I think she's still afraid. I mean, she's a young woman, right? And she has now has this incredible opportunity, but also power, and she's afraid of what may happen. And so then she calls for another banquet. Haman leaves. He's totally excited that he's been able to be in the presence of the king. Queen has his favor, and then he goes home. And on his way home, who do you think he meets? Mordecai. He sees Mordecai, and Mordecai does not bow, and as a result, he is incensed. Then we come to chapter 6. Oh, I'm sorry. Then, so he's incensed. He gets home, and he starts complaining to his wife and to his friends. And they say, no problem. Just build a gallow and put him on it and kill him tomorrow. You have the power. You're the second most powerful person in the kingdom. He sleeps like a baby that night because he knows the next day his Mordecai will be dead. Well, at that same time that he is sleeping well, the king is not sleeping well in chapter 6. And so he's awake. And what anybody would do when you're awake, you get the most boring possible thing you could, and so he gets the records of all of the events that have been going on in his kingdom. And he begins to read, and he comes across, guess what? Mordecai. And what Mordecai had done outside the gate. And so he sees that Mordecai has actually saved his life. And then he says, what has been done for this man? Well, they find that nothing has been done. And so the next morning when he gets up, Haman's coming in, and Haman's convinced this is the time, and he's ready to tell King Ahasuerus, ah, I want Mordecai dead. But the king said, hey, what do you think we should do for somebody to honor them? Well, Haman forgets what he was just about to do, and he thinks, that person has to be me, right? He wants to honor me. And so what he does is he says, okay, let's see. So him, verse 8 let them bring the royal robe that you have worn, right? And the horse 
and let a nobleman bring him around the town. Okay? And so he's thinking, oh, man, this is awesome. And then what happens? King Ahasuerus says, yes, do that for Mordecai. And Haman is just overcome. Because now he has to lead the one that he hates through the town to show that he has gained the king's favor and that he is being honored. So he has barely recovered from the shame of that event, and he has to go to the second banquet. And while at the second banquet, what happens? He's exposed. And so in chapter 7, Esther exposes Haman for what he is, a hater of the Jews and one who's going to destroy them and her people. The king's response is swift. Haman is hung in 710. And then in chapter 8, what needs to happen is there needs to be a new decree because the old decree can't be broken. And so the new decree is Jewish people, you can protect yourself. Anybody who attacks you, you have the freedom to attack back. And that is basically how the story ends. It ends in a celebration called Purim. And so as we look at this, though, we want to ask ourselves, what does this mean for us? Okay, because when we look at Esther, she's not of any particular royal stock. She's a beautiful woman that was at the right place at the right time. So I want us to look at what we learn from Esther. Okay, well, let me share a brief story. We're a little tight on time. But when we were here for about a year, we've been here now four and a half years, a guy named Mike wrote me an email and said, Carl, I want to meet you. Could you come out and have dinner with me? Well, I didn't know Mike. I'd never met Mike. And so we went out, and he goes, you have radically changed my life. I thought, wow. I don't know how that happened. Never met you. And he goes, because there's a guy named Jong. I go, now, Jong, I know. And Jong and I were in the military together. When I was 26 years old, I was a Navy lieutenant in the, Phil- in the Philippines uh, as a Navy dentist. And I, when I got my orders, just I want to set the context here. When I got my orders, I had been praying, God, please send me overseas. So I get my orders. It says, you're going to Subic Bay, the Philippines. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Is that overseas? <laughs> I, I just didn't know. And so the first person I meet is this guy named Jong. He's Catholic. He's not a believer. We get to know each other. We're sharing. And he comes to Christ. Well, he started inviting me over his home. Well, his wife hated me. She thought I was some kind of a cult leader and should stay away from her husband. But at the same time, she wanted to divorce her husband because they were in debt. And every time he, before he would even get his paycheck, he had already, it was already spent plus, because he had to go to a loan shark. And so what what happened was, I was then saying, okay, well, Jung, let me see if I can help you through your finances. Now, you have to understand, at this point in my life, I didn't even balance a checkbook, okay? And so now it's my responsibility to help this guy get out of financial uh, board. I don't know, what's the guy in the U.S.? Uh, Yeah, Dave Ramsey. I'm no Dave Ramsey, okay? And so as this is going on, what happens is I have a friend and so I go over and talk to my friend and say, hey, gosh, I got this guy. Can you help me to figure out how to help him get out of his finances? And he's discipling me. And I go, oh, okay, okay. So then I go back and I talk to him. 
And after about a year, he is completely debt-free. Debt-free. And I'm thinking, whoa, that was cool. Okay? And what happens, though, his wife saw the power of Christ. She becomes a believer. Their daughters all become believers. This guy becomes the financial, this guy becomes the financial counselor from that point forward in all his new locations. That's the grace of God. And so then he meets this guy, Mike, and he leads him to Christ. Well, to fast forward now, two years ago or so, we were in Mike's church. And people would come up to me and say, oh, I love Mike. He's so awesome. Thank you. To me. I'm like, whoa, okay, wait a minute. I don't even know who you are. Because they knew that I had led Jong, who had led Mike to Christ. All that to say, that is why we are here, right? Is to impact others. And so I want to look at five things we can learn from Esther. The first one is that God is in control of everything under the sun. There is nothing that God is not in control of. Okay? And I think, it's interesting, I think the book of Esther mirrors our culture today. That you don't see God anywhere present, but he's in absolute control of everything. He's not acknowledged. The second thing is that God appoints times for people to do his will. God appoints those times. And so I look at it that history is simply in a succession of divine appointments. That God has already established the good works that we're to walk in, we're told in Ephesians. And these appointments are then established by him. Third, you are adequate to accomplish God's will. Adequate. Now, I want you to think for just a minute. Was Esther adequate for the job? All she was was a beautiful face at the beginning, right? That's all we're told. And possibly a compromiser. But then as she finally gets to the point where she stands up and says, no, I am going to protect my people. I'm willing to do that. So we don't bring a lot to the table, to be honest. When I was a 26-year-old lieutenant who couldn't balance his checkbook and had been a Christian for two and a half years, all I did is, number four, which is, made myself available. The four is, you must make yourself available for God to use. And then finally, when we do that, we just leave the results to God. God is the one who will bring about the results. And so... I want to spend the next 10 minutes just going through those in a little bit more detail and try to apply them to each of our own lives. First, that God is in control of every event under the sun. Do you believe that? Yes, until what? It's really tested, right? So, you know, you're about to get ready to go to church. Everything's running a little late. Somebody had used your keys. They're not right where they were. And what do you do? Oh, I trust God is sovereign and that we'll find those and we can be late. It's fine. Right? Come on. That's not what you do. Right? You get upset. Remember, we got the chair back. It's making a return visit. We do this. Who's got my keys? Where'd you put my keys? I need my keys. Right? And then your child says, what do you mean, Dad? They're right there. <gasps> Please forgive me, right? <laughs> and then we get off the chair and you, you go on with your day. But the reality is that God has given you everything as a sovereign God that you will need. Okay? But he is in absolute control and therefore we can have confidence. We can know that anything that comes our way 
is from the one that loves us the most. And it's designed by him, for him, and for us. Second is God appoints times to do his will. He's at work 24-7. He never rests. He's created good works for us to walk in. And so sometimes this can be obviously very hard for us to understand as a young mother may feel overwhelmed by her child, right? That you're knee-deep in diapers, that you're not getting the sleep you need, that you're deprived. But you know what? That God has appointed that just as a season. You will eventually get through it. Praise God. We've had seven kids. We are now through that season. But some of you are not, and so I will continue to say that God will get you through that period of time. Um, but God has appointed uh, things in his will for, for us to do. There are no accidents. There are no coincidences. And so when we look at the whole issue in uh, the book, right, we see that things just happen to happen. Vashti happens to say no. Well, she didn't happen to say no. That was part of God's plan, Right? Then Esther just happens to be this beautiful woman that, the choose, that, that Ahasuerus chooses. Well, that was no accident either. That was an appointed uh, time. And then we see the next one, that Mordecai just happens to overhear this conversation. There was no just coincidence, but it was God's design. And so for us, we want to be confident that there are, all the things that happen are divine appointments, one right after the other. And then number three, and this is probably the hardest one, is that you are adequate, I am adequate to accomplish his will. And I know all of us can feel very inadequate. I feel very inadequate to stand here in front of you and speak. But you know what? Scare yourself. Scare yourself. In our inadequacies, that's when his strength shines through, right? And so if you are a businessman... You are adequate to accomplish the work that he's given, given you. He's given you all the tools that you need. He's given you the location you need. He's given you all the relationships you need. And now the issue is, what are you going to do with those? You are adequate to engage these people at a spiritual level about who Jesus is. As a 26-year-old lieutenant, I engaged this young guy about Jesus. I had no idea what was going to happen. But I, even as a young Christian who didn't really know much about the Bible... I knew at that point that at least I could begin to introduce him to Christ. Mothers, you are adequate, especially if you're doing homeschooling, and my wife does homeschooling, there is a great sense of inadequacy. I mean, how in the world am I a mother and a wife and do homeschooling? It's an impossible task, and you're right, it is. But for this period of time and this phase of her life, of our life, she is adequate because God has equipped her for that time. So the reality is for all of us, we lack nothing that we need to need to actually do, do the thing that God wants us to do. Does that make sense? Yes, you are always going to be limited. But God has called you and designed a specific task for you or for me to do. And for that, we are adequate, even in our weaknesses. And sometimes our weaknesses become our greatest strengths. And then number four, and this is where I think the proverbial rubber hits the road, is you or I must make ourselves available as an act of our will. That is the bottom line. So that when you are faced with somebody at work, what I used to do when I was uh, working in a different role, I would simply do this. 
first thing that come out of my mouth is, hi, my name is Carl, and I'm a Christian. I wanted to get it out on the table right away so that, because, you know, if you don't share it within that first, like, bit, you know, the next time you see them, oh, I should have shared it the first time, and I didn't. So then second time, third time, and then finally, you know, it comes out about a year later. It's like, you're a Christian. Why didn't you tell me that? I don't know. I was embarrassed. You'd never say you were embarrassed. Oh, I just didn't think of it. Really? You didn't think about the most important thing in your life? And so there's this chair comes right back. This is the battle. This was the battle for Esther, right? In chapter 4, uh, Mordecai, I don't want to do this. I really don't want to do this. But then what does she do? She gets off the chair. She gives control to God, and she submits to him. And what's the result? The Jews are saved. If she hadn't done that, guess what? Go back to point one. God's in control of every event, and he would have done it through another means. Okay? But for all of us, it's a battle of our will. And so if you really believe that God is sovereign, and you really believe that he appoints everything in his time, and you really believe that he's made you adequate, then what's the big deal? Submit our wills and do what it is that he's asking us to do. So that's my question to you. What is it in your stage of life, in your phase of life, that God is asking you to do? If you've had business partners for over a year, and they're not Christians, and you've never shared Christ, guess what? I think that's what you need to do. I think you simply need to open your mouth and say, you know what, I'm a Christian. And this is what it means to me. And see where God takes it. If you work in the embassy, right? You're an, you are an ambassador. Do you realize that? You hold the position of an ambassador of Christ. And therefore, you represent him. And so in that embassy situation, what is it you want me to do, God? Who is it that you want me to speak to? Because that is where he has you now. You're adequate. He's given you every possible thing you would need to make an impact in that place. If you're a student, right, are you sharing Christ with your classmates? Maybe this is your Esther moment. God has put you in that class for such a time as this. And that you are to scare yourself, right? Get off the chair if you're on the chair and say, hey, there's something I haven't told you and I apologize. I'm a Christian and I'd like to share what that means to you or to me because we're good friends and I think that that's a part of me that you need to really understand. Again, if you're a mother, especially with little ones, you know, my, I think my wife has rightly said this. She goes, you know, when they're young, like our littlest one up here who's five, those are the tired years, man. You just you put them down, you go to bed, and you just go, oh, thank God we made another day. You know, it's just I'm just tired. But then you watch. We have a 17-year-old, and you go, wow, that's amazing. How, where did the time go? So she says, the days are long, but the years are short. Wow, that is so true. But our Esther moment in our home is with our kids. We are to invest fully into them. Not into video games, not into some crazy movies alone. I'm not saying those things are bad, 
But my primary investment is to my children and to my wife. The greatest thing I can give my children is a good marriage with my wife. And so I need to work on that. And so, again, God has, he's sovereign, he has a plan, he's made me adequate, and then really, it's my, the ball's in my court now. I simply now need to yield my will to his. And then fourth, or fifth, then at the end of all of that, guess what? You get to say, what are you going to do, God? What are you going to do? I've done my part. And now what are you going to do? Maybe you're going to get an email from somebody you don't even know that you've had an amazing impact on. Not because of your something special in yourself, but because you made yourself available and did what God had asked you during your Esther moment. All of us, every day, I believe, go from one Esther moment to the next Esther moment to the next Esther moment. It's a succession of Esther moments. And the only issue is, will we trust God? Will we yield our will to his? And then, will we enjoy the fruits of what he'll do? That is my encouragement. This week, scare yourself. Just scare yourself. Talk to that person that you've never talked to. Just say, you know, I don't even know how to talk about this. But I know this guy named Jesus. And I just want to tell you from my personal experience what that's meant to me. I'm not telling you that you have to believe. I'm not doing any of that. There's no hard sale. But just let me express how important this relationship is to me. Okay, for those of you who don't spend enough time at home, maybe your Esther moment is to turn your phone off and connect with your family. Maybe that's your Esther moment. And for you mothers who feel like you're just so insignificant, you're just huddled away, diaper after diaper in obscurity, tired all the time, you look like a wreck, you know your, your baby's butt better than your husband's face, <laughs> right? Maybe your Esther moment is simply to say, God, thank you for this precious child who gets up still two or three times a night, that that child is a gift from you. And I am no longer going to hate that child, hate the phantom screams I hear in the night, but I am going to embrace that as a gift from you. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your deep and abiding love. God, I thank you that you are in control of every event under the sun. I thank you that you have appointed times that are according to your will. Father, I thank you that you have made each of us adequate in this room to fulfill and accomplish your will. God, I pray for each of us that we would scare ourselves. If we're on the chair, that we would get off the chair. We confess that as sin and that we would yield our will to you, that we would abide. And finally, Father, that we would rejoice with you, that we would glorify you through our faith. So, Father, we love you and we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name.